You gotta shake your ass. Take a time ring, go and get yourself a whistle. Okay. Take a time ring, go and get yourself a whistle. I go by the name of Swiss Beast the Monster. We gonna get this party started. Everybody, welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. It is Tuesday morning. I'm on my third cup of coffee. It's 8:30 a.m. and my dog's already thrown up blueberries. And while cleaning it up, I spilled an entire blue Gatorade on the floor, my couch, and the wall. This all happened in about 30 seconds, and it was vaguely like that scene from The Parent Trap where Hallie gets revenge on Annie's cabin, and as soon as she wakes up, she steps in molasses and like disaster ensues and then that girl wakes up covered in honey and then that other girl wakes up can we all agree that the girl who wakes up with shaving cream on her head and like the bikini drawn on her pajamas made out like a bandit some girl freaking woke up covered in honey that is my nightmare stickiness is is the eighth deadly sin i uh, that is not comparable to being covered in shaving cream. But anyway, I should remind you of who I am in case you're new. I've noticed I've not been introducing myself on the past few podcasts, but I'm Kate. I'm the owner and founder of a company called Be There in Five. We are first and foremost known for inventing something called the Remind Doormat. We also have a line of artwork, a consulting arm, and now this podcast, which I use as a means to cope through the lonely and somewhat thankless days of self-employment and to ramble about pop culture, my daily observations, the 90s zeitgeist, and the like. So thank you for joining me while I distract myself from all of the high fructose corn syrup that's now probably in the cracks of my walls and will give me ants. Even though my apartment is now covered in blue Gatorade and blueberries, I, for one, am not blue. Why? Because of Eve and the song you just heard, her 2007 hit called Tambourine. I put on... This is on my playlist of songs to play when I'm feeling a little meh, when, I'm, when I need a little pep in my step. I put on songs like Tambourine when I'm feeling as meh as Lauren B's personality, for example. It kind of reminds me, not that I frequent theme parks all too often, but it kind of reminds me of trying to frown or grimace on a roller coaster. It is truly impossible, and I find it very funny how grown adults cannot make a straight face at a theme park. Similarly, I like a song that takes me on such a ride whose beat is so good by default that I'm no longer in control of my emotions. I'm just along for the ride, like that of a roller coaster. And ironically, the song Roller Coaster by Bewitched, B asterisk witched, <laughs> does not make me feel this way. And I did think about featuring Bewitched recently on one of my podcasts, but upon revisiting the song C'est La Vie, I realized, yikes, this is suggestive. This is meant to be for like 10 to 14 year olds. And I know this because they have an asterisk in their name, just like the Delia's clothing catalog. And while Delia's, I think, is less than Girlfriend's LA, which was a little shorter lived, I think anytime you have a star or asterisk in your, embedded in your logo, you're pretty much guaranteeing you're targeting 10 to 14 year old girls. And I take issue with Bewitched doing this because upon revisiting the lyrics, they simply say, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. I'm the wolf today. I'll huff, I'll puff, I'll blow you away. And call me crazy, but I don't think that these women in their 20s are singing this because they have a particular affinity for Red Riding Hood. I think that's also why I don't love... Well, I actually... That's why I appreciate the song Tambourine, because I think with a lot of music, they will take a metaphor or an everyday item or worse food and turn it into something sexual and then make this super suggestive song about it. And then the item is ruined for me. For example, Lil Wayne has effectively ruined lollipops for me. I feel uneasy in a candy shop. 
I don't want Laffy Taffy. I can't drink a milkshake without thinking about Khalees. I, I don't know. I, I mean, freaking truffle butter. That, that was the worst offender of all. If somebody makes a song about truffle honey, I don't know what I'll do. If I can't continue to enjoy truffle honey, I may not want to be covered in honey in my Navajo bunk by my long-lost twin sister, but I do want to cover an aged Gouda and a lovely truffle honey on a charcuterie platter that I'm eating on a Saturday night to unwind, and if you take that from me, I don't know what I'll do. I just can't have other foods ruined, so sure, euphemize tambourine all you want. A tambourine to me is merely just an instrument that I was never talented or qualified enough to play in elementary school music class when they exclusively have you play instruments that nobody will ever pursue professionally. I, you know, I guess I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder when it comes to elementary school music class because it, there, there was a ceiling put on my potential because I was never given the high impact instruments in the class. Only the uh, quote unquote talented kids were, which come on, how talented can you be uh, t tapping a mallet on a xylophone? I mean, granted, that did have more range than, say, the two sticks I was given to bang together. But I don't know. I just never really thought it was fair. The, the good kids got the percussion. Bongos, drums, tambourine, and what have you. Maybe a cymbal clapper. Mid-tier got like a triangle. And I was, you know, simply given a singular handheld bell and told I was an important part of the melody, which was simply untrue. And I wasn't even that dumb back then. Last comment on this. I cannot believe that every fourth grader in America, seemingly, and please tell me if you were not subjected to this, has to play that germ-filled spit tube <laughs> called the recorder. Like, every parent in America, just their ears are bleeding every year during that practice phase in that concert, and I'm sure anybody would do anything to never hear hot cross buns again. Now that I'm saying that, what an obvious in-your-face innuendo opportunity is the song Hot Cross Buns. It's suggestive, has the word buns, I don't care if it's ruined, and maybe it would encourage uh, the public schools of America to reconsider the required instrument that every student plays, and maybe they could play something that they could legitimately professionally pursue one day, or at least play an instrument that they could use to impress somebody romantically at some point. The irony of musical instruments is that when you're younger, or at least it used to be that the band kids were kind of stereotyped as being nerdy, but now as an adult, if like a 35-year-old man knew his way around a trombone, I guarantee most women would find that incredibly sexy. I mean, I'd even take a woodwind. Uh, talent is attractive. When you're in elementary, middle, and high school, I don't know, sometimes the arts are just really frowned upon, but ultimately that's what makes you stand out as an adult, and it's just such a crazy backwards system, if you ask me. Perhaps I'm just frustrated. I spent majority of my youth absolutely raging against piano practice, and then I found myself at many dinner parties and occasions throughout life where there's a piano present, and I would absolutely love nothing more than to wow the crowd with my rendition of Walking in Memphis or perhaps Vanessa Carlton's no, not 1,000 miles. I would wow them with White Houses, a beautiful, pianic tune, similar to the sentiment of strawberry wine that I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. And it's a little graphic toward the end, so I suggest you revisit that song as well. Anyway, if next year you find yourself singing Lil John's new hit single, Hot Cross Buns, and you're on the dance floor just jamming one a penny, two a penny, hot cross buns, just remember, you heard it here first.
Staying on topic, but a topic this week that I know has been exhausted, but I just, I have to say, because I recorded last week before I saw The Bachelors after the final rose, and before you turn this off, let me just say, my issue isn't necessarily with Ari. I will, I mean, obviously my problem is Ari. I just mean, unlike everybody else, it's not really my central focus. I mean... Do I think that he's a washed-up reality star from five years ago that when people actually liked him on Emily Maynard's season, he used that to spend the past five years hitting on 18-year-old sorority girls and building up his real estate business in Scottsdale because his racing career failed and he had to go back on reality TV so he could sell a house or two and then get himself five more years of hitting on 18-year-old sorority girls. And, you know, yes, I, I think he's manipulative. I think he's a producer puppet. And I think he handled the entire thing poorly. And I think... He is a huge, huge problem, and he represents the beha- problematic behavior of a lot of men. And because of that, that's why I took issue with how both women responded. Not anything personal toward them, and, and maybe it's how the show told them they had to respond, but I was disappointed that on a platform of that magnitude, that the opportunity was not harnessed to speak on behalf of women everywhere who have been in that situation, to help women learn who might be in that situation, that you don't have to accept such disrespectful behavior. And I felt like they both just sat there. Not that they're not great girls and that that didn't do their best and have the best of intentions. I I just, my my issue is with the lack of chutzpah, the lack of gumption, the inability of either party to really command the situation, ask the right questions, give their honest feedback, put him in his place and move forward accordingly. And, you know, Lauren B is is one thing I can't even uh, I'm less concerned about her because her minutes over. But for Becca to be the bachelorette going forward, I don't know, guys, I I needed she doesn't have what's the word I'm looking for? The the gravitas, I think that is necessary to have to be the bachelorette. She came across as a a little bit meek and like she didn't have much of a backbone. And again, this could be producer driven, but I think she had such an opportunity to Andy Dorfman, America. Andy Dorfman. And when she told Juan Pablo it was not okay and she was a strong, independent woman that deserved better, we were obsessed with her. But right now, I think Becca is at risk of just having our sympathy and not necessarily our respect. I don't know. If you asked me, if you asked me, it was a real missed opportunity to just be like, I don't care that I'm supposed to be polite and have good manners and be the bachelorette. Because on behalf of women everywhere, like, F you. The only thing you did right in this entire process was... Prove to me through your actions what a manipulative, sociopathic, disrespectful person you are, as if your baseline manhood wasn't already in question. You left us all without a shadow of a doubt that you have absolutely zero integrity when you didn't even have, didn't even respect me as a human being, a friend, or more importantly, a fiance who got down on one knee and promised to love and honor and take care of me and proposed to me in the same breath as mentioning my deceased father. By doing all of that, you did me a huge favor and that, like, thank God I do not have to marry a horrible person. In trying so desperately to make this incredibly difficult for me and to get a rise out of me, you inadvertently made it incredibly easy for me to walk away if you catch my drift, which you probably don't, because you're a horrible race car driver and you are more dead to me than your racing career. So goodbye. Super cute attempt to humiliate me. I'm going to be just fine. I am now the bachelorette and I am gaining more fame and fortune by the minute while you lose followers in the general public's interest by the second. Way to go, buddy. Wishing you all the best. To quote one Charlotte York, I curse the day you were born. Was that too harsh? I I didn't even know I felt that way. That was my reaction that Becca wasn't allowed to do. I felt I should on her behalf. I don't remember what I said. I just saw red. Much like my favorite Taylor Swift album that I think has the most artistic, lyrical, and emotional depth. 
people like to quote Michelle Obama and say, when they go low, we go high. And while I agree with this statement wholeheartedly, I would interpret it in this sense to be, when they go low, you go high on your soapbox and speak to them as condescendingly as humanly possible. There's things that are low, then there's things that are so low that I, it's a true crime to let them get away with it. And if he's going to try to publicly humiliate you, you do it back to him, but 10 times worse. And that is why I would not be a great bachelorette. Or would I be the best bachelorette? Whew, okay, sorry, I gotta get off that tangent. I don't know. It, it just, it, it really does bother me. And, I did, and maybe it was because International Women's Day was the next day. And I, <laughs> I was thinking about something on IWD that I was going to share. But it's extremely unimportant, so therefore I saved it for this podcast. But I had this Barbie when I was a kid. It was called Teen Talk Barbie. And, you know, if, if we ever needed proof that women were not overly encouraged to go into STEM fields in the 90s, this Barbie would be the smoking gun. Because I, 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 like, I can almost hear the sequence in my head. And there was something. She said a few phrases to the effect of, like, let's go shopping. Math is tough. Will we ever have enough shoes? Party dresses are fun. And I mean, truly, that's, I, I'm pretty sure that's verbatim. I might try to find it on YouTube to play it for you. Math class is tough. Party dresses are fun. I'll always be here to help you. Do you have a crush on anyone? Math class is tough. Math class is tough. Silly, silly me. But I mean, I just think it's a little bit funny because, you know, now the toys are so educational and you can be an architect, you can engineer full buildings. Everything is designed to, you know, really nurture a growing brain and encourage your brain to think in ways that are beneficial to STEM fields where women are currently underrepresented. And obviously, I'm so grateful that my future daughter can grow up in a world where those options exist. But it also makes me laugh and kind of think what, how much of me is a product of the messaging I received by the toys and products I chose to play with. Because if it was not the girliest thing on the planet, I was not interested. I spent my days buried in mom madness and girl talk and pretty, pretty princess and American girl dolls and Barbies in that, that puppy that birthed all those other puppies. I don't know. I, I just, I had absolutely no interest in anything remotely educational except the one year my, you know, dad got me the software for math blasters and that was pretty fun. And I can't say I would have it any other way because even though they maybe weren't the best thing for my brain, they were a very good thing for my imagination, which fostered a different side of my brain that I think is important for children because there's no other time when you can have mindless fun and just really explore. So I feel torn. I don't know how I'll feel about this as a parent. I, I personally think it's hard to disseminate between what is mindless fun versus which things are actually implanting negative long-term messaging. I, I don't know. Sometimes I just wonder, like, would I be a different person if I didn't spend so much time trying to, you know, beat my friends at Pretty Pretty Princess and just arrogantly tack those jewels onto my crown whilst, you know what, actually being susceptible to some very harmful messaging, which was the dangers of over-accessorizing. I did not learn to look in the mirror and take one thing off until way too late in life. And I did, I did really overdo it on the statement necklaces in high school, but what are you going to do?
I guess what's also kind of funny about Teen Talk Barbie is that the the consumer of Teen Talk Barbie is ages like 10 to 12, people that actually play with Barbies, whereas those are the the things an actual teen would say are just probably not appropriate for a younger audience. Like in my era, Teen Talk Barbie, you would have pressed her and she'd be like, uh, my parents are out of town this weekend. Let's roll up our gym shorts. I love Mike's Hard Lemonade. Let's cut class and go to Arby's. My dream car is a Toyota Celica with a spoiler. And if any person under the legal drinking age is listening, I am also indeed JK. Don't drink. Hugs, not drugs. They don't call it Mike's Soft Lemonade for a reason. Those things will get you. Headache waiting to happen. Just some wise words from your mature podcast host. Oh, okay. I say I say mature as a joke. I actually don't talk like that. I just my whole life it's bothered me when people said mature and not mature to the point where I always say it as a joke. I don't know. Did anybody else have a college professor that pronounced finance finance? It's finance, right? I don't know. It seemed like it was some universal professor rule that everybody in the finance department had to call it finance. It's kind of like how the guy on Billion Dollar Buyer, the the Texan guy, says restaurant instead of restaurant. It's hard to mimic. But anyway, I was thinking about this because recently I was somewhat ridiculed for pronouncing something that I would say was correct. And it made me it made me pose the question of, do I pronounce something correctly and risk sounding pretentious? Or do I pronounce something incorrectly, or maybe a better word is colloquially, and risk sounding ignorant should the other person know how it's correctly pronounced? An example would be of Ibiza versus Ibiza, of bruschetta, bruschetta, of au bon pain or au bon pain. I guarantee you, le pain quotidiennes, <laughs> I can't even do it straight face, clientele would skyrocket if people didn't have so much anxiety about telling their friends that they want to meet there. Because you can say LPQ, then somebody might not know it, and then you have to be like, um, uh, uh, le pain quotidien? And they're like, oh, okay, Pierre Escargot, when did you become such a Francophile? But then if I said le pain quotidien, then somebody would be like, Geez, you're not even going to try? I mean, have you ever seen Les Mis? I'm not a Francophile, but I'm also not a monster. I respect other cultures. I suppose Ibiza is maybe a slightly different tier. It's maybe a bit of an exaggeration because I do, I do think it is very hard to pull off a Catalan accent and say Ibiza or Barcelona in an otherwise entirely English sentence unless you are Spanish. So the cadence isn't very natural, but it is correct. So when I'm at a restaurant and I order bruschetta, I am correct, but I can tell, and this has happened more than once, when the waiter relays my order back to me, he's intentionally saying bruschetta, and I'm like seething at an incorrect correction. But I can also see the flip side of this, because when I watch the Food Network, and Gianna De Laurentiis, who is Italian, says something like, and then you're going to stir in the ricotta with a wooden spoon, and I'm like, oh, why'd you just have to change that one word? It just, it sounds... It makes the, it throws off the entire sentence, but it's correct, and she has every right to, and it makes sense, and I don't know. I am both the problem and the solution. I don't know what's right, and I'd be interested to hear anybody else's opinion on this topic, because I think in the face of a professional or networking type of situation, it's good to kind of have a default setting you turn to, but I'd argue I'm equally as turned off by people that come across as pretentious or ignorant, so I don't really know if you can win. Let's see. How do we get here? I I have a scribbled piece of paper in front of me, much like Tyler Henry allegedly connecting 
with the beyond. So I'm not totally convinced he's not just playing like tic-tac-toe and that he does that because he feels bad making eye contact in the event he's lying. Here's the thing. I, I actually do believe in uh, mediums, psychic abilities, intuitiveness, third eye to a degree. I've had interesting experiences in my life. I've had spot-on tarot card readings. I have had coincidences and synchronicities happen to me that are more proof than I will ever scientifically need. But my issue with um, the cold reading medium style is that if you really had that ability to bridge a dimension, why would people just talk to you in symbols and letters and only talk to you about their medical conditions and like the, you know, short time before they passed? Like I would think of my loved ones who I had a great relationship with passed. They, if they really wanted me to know they were there, they would say like a really funny inside joke. They wouldn't like harp on their bone marrow transplant or explain how their last day in the hospital went. I just don't think, I, I, I know none of this is obviously logical, but it's kind of tough to believe Tyler when he's like, I'm seeing a bee, I'm seeing a bee. And the person's like, oh, no, we don't have, I don't have anyone with a bee. And he's like, oh, and, um, any nicknames? And like, no, his name's Edward. And uh, he's like, okay, um, bee, bee, uh, are you sure? Like, and, and, and their street, their house, any, any pets, whatever. And they're like, oh, my God, yeah, he had a dog named Steve, but he called the dog Boo Boo a couple times. Oh, my God, you're connecting with my grandfather. And it's like, What? Anyway, some good stories. I sh- I, I'm going to share another day. If you if people are open to hear, hearing that sort of thing. Um, where was it? Oh, yeah, my paper. So mm, finance mat- mature. Aha. Uh-huh. Mike's hard lemonade. Uh, the, the common thread that ties us all together. Actually, I've, I've always kind of wondered if alcoholic beverage brands, similar to Mike's hard, like Smirnoff Ice, Boone's Farm, uh, wine coolers like do they know that the majority of their market share is adults buying them and keeping them in their fridge in the garage or wherever forever in case there's a guest that might want one but really the consumption comes down to a an underage teenager probably just stealing them and giving them to their friends and then the adults so, drinks them so seldomly that they don't really notice like does does Smirnoff Ice know that they're they're like they're bought as a joke you know you remember when icing people was a thing oh that was the worst uh, see this is where i'm not a fun gal it's just like something somebody decided that was a thing and now everyone's doing it and is laughing and i don't get why i mean granted this was like five years ago but it's a similar thing i feel when people buy a round of shots and give me one and i didn't ask for a shot like I- i'm just not shots gal and quite frankly i don't like shots guy at every party, at every bar, there's always shots guy, the guy that is already way more drunk than everybody else. So therefore, he thinks he has way more money than he actually does. And he takes it upon himself to buy everybody a round of shots within earshot because he is going to get even drunker and embarrass himself and get devastatingly hungover. And he's going to take all of us down with him if it's the last thing he does. And the shame that is bestowed upon you for declining a shot that has already been purchased is so annoying and so not worth arguing that half the time I just take the glass, pour it out behind me when no one's looking, then put it back on the tray and, you know, whatever. I know that's rude, but it's not worth engaging a super drunk dude that wants everyone to be as drunk as he is. And I would get super sick. And you know what? I don't care what you think about me, shots guy, because I didn't ask you for it in the first place. And I am in no way obligated to drink a drink that somebody bought for me that I did not ask for. And of course, I think it's nice to buy somebody a drink. But I think if you really want to do that, you ask them what they want. Or if you know them well enough, you just take care of what their signature is. 
But otherwise, you're kind of putting somebody in a difficult position because what if they don't like it and they feel like they have to drink it or they're not feeling well or like, I get so sick when I drink any kind of liquor. And so I, I just have a rule that after a point in life when I was just feeling awful, I was like, I'm just, I have to turn them down always. And it always makes me look so ungrateful. And I'm very, very grateful. But, you know, if you, if you ever see me out, I do love tequila. The, the all liquor is not true, uh, but it has to have salt, preferably tahini. but I'll probably be carrying some in my purse. So, so we're cool. Before I was a ring-wearing citizen of society, that was something that always really bothered me. I mean, I didn't really get hit on very often, but there were a few occasions in life where somebody would buy me something, you know, romantic and well thought out, like a Bud Light, and hand it to me, and I would promptly reject it, and then I would be treated like me not accepting a drink that I did not see get opened from a stranger was in poor taste when, ironically, I would argue that the issue at hand is their poor taste in beer. And, you know, it's nothing against Bud Light. It's just I think anybody's alcoholic preferences are a direct response to their experience with it when they first started drinking it when they were younger. It's kind of like you throw up something once and you never want to have it again. But it's for me, Bud Light is more like bad memories. Like it tastes like losing beer pong. It take, it tastes like being at a frat party and the ping pong ball falls on the crusty floor and has probably, you know, dog hair on it. And then somebody aggressively dunks it into the water cup without shaking off the excess water. And then it gets into a beer cup and then the Bud Light is mixed with water and then probably also mixed with uh, like Milwaukee's best in Natty Light because some bro across from you, his ball like bounced off the solo cup and he's like, is there beer in that cup? Is there beer in that cup? And then somebody pours another type of beer into that cup and then I drink the mixture and just want to die. That is what Bud Light tastes like to me. I don't know. I, I just never really understood the ability to pound several beers back to back as your method for letting loose. Because if you really want to let loose, I'd argue the best way to do this is wine. Because half the time I accidentally do it. And that's how you know it's good. With beer, I had to try really hard. And I just, I don't know. I didn't find out about wine until way too late in life. I didn't find that out until I was actually 21 years old. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. I'm such a weirdo. I have so many stories of like realizing after the fact that I was trying so hard to have as much fun as everybody else was, but I just wasn't. So on occasion, I would take matters into my own hands when I wasn't pounding seasons of Gilmore Girls and I wasn't getting the discs in my mailbox. Jesus, was that a painful process to have to both return them in the mail and then wait for them in the mail? Like truly, we have no threshold for patience anymore. If I have to wait in the line for more than five minutes, I'm outraged. I'm writing a Yelp review. I'm coming back later. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I, but I, I hate waiting in line. Nobody should have to wait in line at a bar or a club after 30. That's just like my baseline rule of thumb, especially because now I'm, I don't have the shame and I don't know enough people here to feel badly going up to the front and pretending like I have a reason to be there and seeing if they believe me. And if I get rejected, then I'm probably happier going home. Anyway, but yes, in college, I would take matters into my own hands and for some reason found it very funny to take over the iPod at a party and find the saddest song in their library and simply play it at a party and just <laughs> watch the entire room get brought down for the sake of comedy. Because some songs are just so, they're like that roller coaster I talked about earlier. You're, you lose control of your emotions and that they're so inherently sad. And I think there's something funny about that, especially because people aren't really sad. It just drastically changes the mood. 
it, uh, you know, it's that feeling where a few chords of a song make you feel homesick, even though you're already at home, that sort of thing. For example, if, if I just, you know, right out the gate at the beginning of the podcast started off by playing... be like oh yeah life's not so great after all and that of course was cold place the scientist arguably not their saddest song but i would say one of their most recognizable another great song to immediately buzzkill a party a lesser known hit that people will remember upon hearing it that perhaps it's a, you're at risk it may or may not land depends on how familiar the crowd is with 90s music is joan osborne's one of us. And I say this because it's not as deliberate in its attempt to make you feel sad, but just in general, the song is so slow and so bad. It's just a real bummer. It's the song that's like, if God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see? And it's just like, literally, what if God was one of us? It's like, I don't know. I, I'd akin my disdain for What If God Was One of Us by Joan Osborne to those, like, the overplayed kind of sad-ish female songs. Like, I kind of Sarah McLaughlin, definitely Sunny Came Home by Sean Colvin, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone, Don't Know Who Sings That, Paula Somebody, Counting Blue Cars by Dishwalla. Tell me all your thoughts on God. I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. Gosh, can't we just sing about something else besides like personifying God? That's what Christian radio is for. And I mean, if you want to take this to another level, which I don't recommend, but I guess personally, if you ever just feel like feeling sad, you could listen to Brick by Ben Folds 5. You could listen to Fresh the Freshman by the Verve Pipe, not to be confused with the Verve, who, speaking of God, sang God's gift to our ears, which is Bittersweet Symphony. The Freshman is a tough one, and I would liken it to Pearl Jam's Forget the name. Where, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. Another God reference, another sad reference about a teenager dying. And frankly, these songs just scared the crap out of me when I was a child that I too was going to get in a car accident or know somebody that something awful would happen to. And, you know, I respect their artistic right to grieve through music, but I don't think I was ready for it at the time. The closest I could possibly get to the realities of life and death were Mariah Carey featuring Boys to Men's hit single One Sweet Day that ends with the most powerful harmony of Mariah Carey and Boyz II Men and two of my favorite, favorite artists at the time, and I'd argue of all time if we could, you know, remove the last decade of Mimi's behavior. And I also liked um, I'll Be Missing You, of course, about Notorious B.I.G., then sung by Puff Daddy, Faith Evans, and 112. That was a little easier to digest, though, given the upbeat nature of the song, but that song was huge. And actually, I love to piss off um, a music snob and uh, if I ever hear the uh, police version, I'll be watching you say something along the lines of like, God, I cannot believe the police covered Puff Daddy. Like, is nothing original anymore? Just just watch people get outraged. It's it's awesome. And then there's kind of like a different flavor of sad, but like nostalgic to actually to bring it back to Eve, singer of Tambourine, Eve 6, which if I were Eve, that would annoy me sung that really good song, Here's to the Night, that's famously used in a lot of mm, slideshows indicating some chapter is closing, similarly to Green Day's Time of Your Life, parentheses, Good Riddance. And I think, you know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with songs like Here's to the Night. They're very, um, they make you want to be present and live in the moment. 
And, you know, the nights we felt alive with the friends, something that you'll never forget. Live to live for the nights you'll never remember with the friends you'll never forget. What bad advice that is. That is such an AM buddy info quote. Like, to the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Like, just because you, like, transpose the subject and preposition of a sentence, it is not a poet make. But that concept is actually one of my husband's pet peeves about music is the emphasis, especially with a lot of pop songs on like tonight, like what's going to happen tonight. Give me everything tonight. Tonight, we are young. Let's set the world on fire. Like, like, why does everything just have to be about tonight? Because really what those songs are doing is providing an excuse for you to make bad decisions you'll have to deal with tomorrow but by having this like seize the day in the moment vibe you're like yeah you're only young once screw tomorrow when i'll have to deal with the lifelong repercussions of a bad decision for all we have is tonight another round shots guy and like that's just not how life works we aren't all waiting for tonight j-lo we can't all save tonight eagle-eyed jerry whitney houston i am not your baby tonight and toby keith i am not just talking about tonight It probably started with Phil Collins when he felt it in the air tonight. And, you know, I do like that song, but I feel like what's made it more of an issue in recent years is Pitbull, who is a major offender of this bad decision-making influence by making people feel like when they hear his songs, They just need to be in the moment and live it up and buy tons of bottles in a nightclub. What if this is all a conspiracy to have music give us subliminal messages when we're out being consumers to consume more product because all we have is tonight, tomorrow's not guaranteed skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Like, I I just, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of songs that talk about this and Pitbull, my husband brought this up when we heard the song, Give Me Everything. Bye, Pitbull. He's like, tonight, I want all of you tonight. Give me everything tonight. For all we know, we might not get tomorrow. And it's like, sheesh. Well, if that weren't a uh, a, a, a toe in the line of coercion, then I don't know what is. That is dangerous. Though, in general, I mean, I got to give it up to Pitbull. He he has so many huge, huge songs, yet like, he's not really like a tabloid celebrity. He's just not somebody I see around a ton or is as saturated as like DJ Khaled, for example, which I just saw Pitch Perfect 3. As I mentioned last week, I watched it during the Oscars, finished it during the Oscars before the Oscars were over. And the entire plotline centers around DJ Khaled. And I'm like, girls, you had the opportunity to make a, a timeless classic with Pitch Perfect 3. But you chose the most topical star of our time is famous. I'd argue very contingent on his catchphrases on Snapchat, which are a little bit old at this point. But I, he does produce very good music. I'll, I'll give him credit. But one of <laughs> I have like five sisters, so I will not tell you which one, but one of them, and it makes me laugh so hard, was telling me about how much she loves Pitbull. And I was trying to understand why, like beyond the music, you know, are there, uh, you know, major super, super fans of Pitbull? I think we can all acknowledge he can, he can produce a hit. But her response was, I don't know, it just, it really seems like he would treat you right. (laughs) It still makes me laugh to this day. And you know what? I can't argue with that. Here's to Pitbull. And to, you know, make this podcast come full circle. My favorite Pitbull song is an innuendo that normally would bother me. 
But I'm more of a Popeyes girl, and he sings a song with the Ying Yang twins called Bojangles. According to Wikipedia, this is simply a woman with nice legs, chest, and wings, which I don't have those, but you get the picture. It's, it's fairly mild in nature and an innuendo that I can handle, and a song that is so good it is also on my pump-up list. Because math class is tough, but... I mean, thank God he clarified, because I was about to bring it back under the impression this was a test. So thank you to Pitbull for treating a girl right. Along those lines of hearing my sister-in-law say that and me thinking it was rather funny, uh, my advice to you this week is to, any time that you think something is really funny, have an iPhone note. Mine is called Belly Laugh, and I save it specifically for those times when I laugh so hard I simply have trouble breathing. And they are typically things that anytime you revisit will probably make you laugh just as hard. So start jotting those things down for a rainy day. And I swear it just, it does wonders. Another thing on my belly laugh list is when we found my mom's Twitter account and (laughs) I can't. And, uh, you know, my mom's, she's the best. She's like the most upbeat, cheery person in the entire world. And she's so funny. And she had like two tweets and one of them I suppose the weather was nice that day, and she simply said, hats off to Mother Nature. And you know what, Mom? You're right. Hats off to Mother Nature. Mother Nature should have a handle that we can, or at least a hashtag, that we can give her due credit, because when the weather is nice, there's nothing more important to do than than tweet the vague personification of the Earth as a maternal figure. Anyway, just something for everyone to think about. And with that, I will leave you because I am staring into the abyss of a sticky pool of blue Gatorade and a tugboat's blueberry surprise, as I'll call it. I semi-cleaned up earlier, but I really needed to get this done. So, you know, I hope this podcast wasn't too negative. I, I uh, My emotions aren't blue. Simply my house is. And I, I can't always promise to be super sunshiny, but I would argue that I love a cloudy day sometimes even more. And when I do record early in the morning, I'm sure my disposition isn't as sunny. But hey, clouds and inclement weather are an omnipotent excuse for the skies to sleep a little longer, to cozy up and listen to a podcast. And I hope today, regardless of where you are or if you're in the unseasonable snowstorm happening in the mid-Atlantic and northeast where many of my nearest and dearest are, thank you for letting me keep you company. And though I hate to beg, if you could please leave me a review. I believe I'm at 94 and I would... Love 100. I hit 100,000 emails unread today, so, you know. But let's go for two milestones. It would mean the world. It's the only way I know how to keep going, and I read every single one. And if you'd prefer to email me or DM me, that is awesome, too. I would love to hear from you. And with that, I will leave you with my new anthem based on the state of my house. And as always, let me know your thoughts, and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. Yo, listen up, here's the story About a little guy that lives in a blue world And all day and all night And everything he sees is just blue Like him inside and outside Blue his house with a blue little window And a blue Corvette And everything is blue for him And himself and everybody around Cause he ain't got nobody to listen to I'm blue.